Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Dave Baxter and Mary McDougall, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle. Some 45% of UK companies had scrapped their dividends by the 5th of April, and the situation is likely to deteriorate, which is pretty grim news for investors who rely on dividends for income. But equities aren't the only source of income. And if you look in the right places, you can continue to get decent payouts. Dave, you've been looking into this. So where other than equities or equity funds can investors find decent yields? Hi, Leonora. Yeah, so there are plenty of um, alternative asset classes um, beyond the world of equities where you can find some some good yields. Um, a lot of these are accessible via investment trusts. So just to name a few, this can include areas like debt, property, um, leasing, things like that. So you could uh, use these asset classes to get a good income and also diversify away from equities to an extent. But you do have to be quite careful here. Uh, Lots of these trusts have been quite heavily exposed to the effects of the current crisis. So some of them may actually struggle to keep paying their dividends for now. Uh, We've already seen more than 15 investment trusts which have either cancelled, suspended, reduced, um, or at least started to review uh, their scheduled dividend payments. With these caveats in mind, what type of alternative asset investment trusts could be good income options? So one area that has long been very popular with investors and still seems like a good way to go is infrastructure. Um, We're talking both generalist infrastructure investment trusts and also those that focus on renewable infrastructure. Um, Lots of the assets that these trusts buy, um, for example, schools or um, renewable energy projects, hopefully shouldn't be hugely affected by the current lockdown. Um, They're quite resilient in lots of economic conditions. Um, and many of them pay quite attractive dividends. What would be an example of such a trust? So there are loads of options, but in the generalist space, one tactic that might be good is to um, pick a trust that has a decent amount of exposure to um, private finance initiative projects, just because then you're getting an element of government backing and perhaps an extra level of security. One trust, there are a few, but one trust that fits into this category is Hickle Infrastructure. This all sounds good, but there's always downsides, aren't there? <laughs> I mean, what, um, you know, what, what are the risks of these um, or any problems? I'd say the main downside here comes down to price. So these trusts um, have long been very popular, but have traded at large premiums um, to the value of their underlying assets. This year, with the sell-off, we initially saw um, infrastructure trusts, their shares got caught up a bit. They kind of, they fell. Um, They were on lower premiums or even not on premiums. But since then, they've recovered quite strongly. And that means, again, we're back to a situation where we have um, shares trading at reasonably large premiums to um, the value of underlying assets. Um, So you really have to bear that in mind if you're going to turn to these trusts. Also, it's worth considering the fact that some believe, uh, at least in the short term, we're probably going to see an even um, greater continued spike um, in these premiums. So what other alternative assets could you look to for income? So, yeah, there's lots of choice. Just to name a few, there are areas like debt, there's leasing, there's property. Um, Traditionally, these asset classes have provided a good level of diversification from equities and also a good and fairly reliable yield. 
that's um, you know, that's good. But are there any things that you should watch out for with these kinds of trusts? Yeah, there are lots of problems going on here. For example, leasing trusts, um, which often lease things like airports, um, have been hit quite hard by the current travel shutdown. Um, a couple of those have already suspended their dividends. Some of the debt trusts have also been hit quite hard. Um, that's partly because they're exposed to some of the kind of vulnerable uh, industries. Um, and again, we've seen a knock-on effect on dividends. Um, finally, in the property space, some of the property trusts have been struggling to collect all of their rent payments as both people and companies struggle to pay up in the current conditions. Um, so you just have to be really careful when you look for trusts like these and just assess whether the assets investing can continue to provide an income in the current environment. So what would be examples of trusts in these sectors that appear to be in a stronger position to pay out income? It seems that a good approach is to focus on specialists and specialist areas that are perhaps a bit less vulnerable to the shutdown. So if you're going to look at debt funds, for example, um, there's a name Biopharma Credit. That trust invests in loans to companies in the life sciences industry. These loans are often secured against the sale of approved drugs. So you've got some level of protection um, around the income. But also, um, specialists believe that now should be a good time for that trust to basically pick up some investment opportunities. Um, life sciences companies tend to be more comfortable issuing debt when equity markets are having a bit of a wobble. Um, and there aren't many competitors to this trust. Similarly, uh, if you're going to look at the property space, again, specialists have, in some respects, fared a bit better than some of the generalists. One example would be the healthcare trusts or healthcare property trusts, these have generally held up a lot better in terms of things like collecting their rent. So that income should be a bit more secure. But again, you have to be careful and you have to look at prices because some of these names are trading on quite large premiums to underlying assets. Thank you, Dave. And see this week's big theme in the fund section for his other suggestions on alternative asset trusts for income. Regardless of economic and market conditions, it's very important to invest in line with your risk appetite. However, working out exactly what this is and how to implement it is easier said than done. Mary, you've been looking at this. So how do you start trying to assess your risk appetite? Hi, Leonora. Yeah, so the falls in equity markets this year have offered a sobering reminder of just how risky investing can be. There are three key things to consider when you're assessing your risk profile. That's your need to take risk, your capacity to take risk, and your attitude towards risk. So your need to take risk depends on what your financial goals are. For example, if you're saving for your retirement and targeting 5% portfolio growth per year, you'll have to place a significant amount of your pot in equities to meet that goal. Your capacity for loss refers to your ability to suffer losses, but still meet your financial needs. So if losing money you've invested would have a serious impact on your personal welfare, you should not invest too much of your portfolio in risky assets. And the third point is you must also be comfortable with your own personal attitude to risk. If losing large sums of money in market downturns will cause you a slew of sleepless nights, then it may not be worth having a high allocation to equities. However, for any money sitting in cash or some other low-risk asset classes, you must accept 
the likelihood of your capital being eroded by inflation. Do these principles apply to all your assets and everything you have? No, not necessarily. Your profile may differ for different pots of money. So, for example, an 80-year-old may draw sufficient income from ISAs and be planning to leave their pension to their grandchildren. So the ISA pot may be run to a cautious mandate, but the pension more aggressively because it's expected to be um, some time before it's needed. But then maybe for a younger investor, they might have long-term savings in an ISA with a high exposure to equities um, and a separate pot in less risky assets if they expect to need the money soon for a deposit for a house, for example. Now, um, how do you go about implementing an appropriate asset allocation when you've determined your risk appetite? Well, generally speaking, the longer the time horizon, the higher your risk appetite, the higher the weighting to equities you should have in your portfolio. And as your time frame shortens or your risk appetite lessens, you should look to increase the weighting of less volatile asset classes such as bonds and alternatives. Um, alternatives include property, gold, infrastructure, and that would improve the risk-adjusted performance of your portfolio. While you should establish a long-term asset allocation strategy, you should also address it regularly on a tactical basis to reflect changing market conditions and valuations. This is particularly relevant now, where an active approach can help to preserve capital in falling markets and also take advantage of attractive valuations now that markets have fallen and when they have fallen. Are there any, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, different people take different approaches, but are there any um, assets that all investors should consider having? Yeah, whatever your approach to investments, it's important to have an emergency cash pot. If you're retired and have a secure income that from a final salary pension scheme, that might be six months income to cover emergencies. But if you're in drawdown um, and investing your your own SIP, um, you might want up to two years worth of income in cash, um, especially in times like now when companies aren't paying dividends. Lots of investors depend on dividends for their incomes, um, but aren't receiving them. So, so having a cash reserve to be able to supplement that is important. Okay, thank you, Mary, and read her full guide on how to work out your risk appetite in this week's money section. Public markets have experienced extreme volatility as a result of the coronavirus outbreak and economic fallout. But these aren't the only types of assets to feel the effect. The value of unquoted investments have also been affected. And this has had a knock-on effect on some very high-profile funds and managers. Dave, what would be an example of such a fund and how has it been affected? So it's not the only example, but one that has caused rye is um, the Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, a um, very popular and successful name. They appear to have marked down the value of um, some of their unlisted holdings. It's been a fairly elusive update, but um, Bailey Gifford, the asset manager that runs the investment trust's investment portfolio, said there have been multiple ad hoc um, revaluations in its unlisted portfolio. So has this had a detrimental effect on Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust's performance? Well, any markdown to the value of an unquoted holding should have a negative effect. But um, Scottish Mortgage has actually held up very well this year um, in terms of performance. So from the start of the year to the 14th of April, the trust made an NAV return of nearly 6% um, and a share price total return of um, 8.2%. 
Uh, by contrast, uh, the FTSE All World Index fell by nearly 11%. So it's doing really well to still manage a positive return and really holding up well. Okay, so if its unquoted investments didn't perform well, um, what did help the trust get these returns? Generally, some of the big tech names that the trust is known for backing, such as such as Amazon, for example, have remained very popular with investors as they look for growth, um, but also names like Amazon, but also uh, holdings such as Alibaba, Tencent, Netflix. Um, they're all benefiting from increased demand for um, things like e-commerce and for entertainment while people are stuck at home. But Scottish Mortgage, which kind of focuses on, um, I guess, disruptive growth names, is also invested in companies in areas such as food delivery, um, such as financial services, such as remote working, that should all benefit from the current situation. So even if some names have been marked down, other parts of the portfolio are actually doing quite well for the time being. Thank you, Dave. And see the funds section of the website for its reports on other funds, which have had to write down the value of their unquoted assets. That brings us to the end of today's show. But see Investors Chronicle, or the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk for more and higher yielding alternative asset funds, how to work out your risk appetite, and how to set an appropriate asset allocation. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and have a good weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.